I'm Jonathan, so if you're watching live on stream, I work in Next Generation Ministry, and it's just awesome that we get to talk this morning. Take your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. Also, as we get started, uh, there's this uh, outline guide for you. Uh, We have this in print. It's back outside that exit door, not asking you to get up and get it. Um, You can also access it online on Church Center on the church app, and so we'd love for you uh, to check it out there. Uh, So I'm going to talk about some things that prior to about a month and a half ago, I had not really spent much time studying. And there's a lot of really cool things uh, that we're going to talk about this morning. So hold on as we jump in. Here's the first thing. Oh, look, Santa already made it to our screen. Here's the first thing that I want to uh, talk about this morning. If you think about it, there's a lot of stuff about miracles and really kind of wild out there things that we talk about with kids at Christmas time, isn't there? I mean, just think about it for a second. The whole concept of Santa Claus. Just think about it. Forget the notes for a second. Just the whole thought of one guy traveling all around the world, delivering gifts in one, you know, time frame miraculously. And then let's just talk about how he gets into the house. Okay. And then let's just talk about the cookies uh, that are left. By the way, have you ever wondered who the cookies were really left for? As a kid, I actually thought it was for my, my dad. You know, and then by the way, I want to know how on earth after setting the milk out all night long did it not go bad? Has anybody ever wondered that? Okay. Think about all of the miracles and things we talk about around Christmas time. The first one, Santa Claus. How about the second one? Ebenezer Scrooge. Okay. You've heard the story before. It's the central character in Charles Dickens, 1843, a Christmas carol. At the beginning, Scrooge is a cold hearted miser who despises Christmas. However, and I can't make this stuff up. Three spirits, the spirit of Christmas past, the spirit of Christmas present, you know the story, Christmas present, and the spirit of Christmas future, get a hold of his heart, change it from cold to warm. And I want to just ask when we're telling our kids, is Scrooge a real person? Is he a fake one? Are there really three spirits of Christmas? To that I say, bah humbug. (laughs) Illustration number three, elves. Of course, I, I can't leave out Elf the movie with Will Ferrell. Do you really honestly believe that Buddy was accidentally transported to the North Pole as a toddler and raised to adulthood among Santa's elves? And are there really Santa's elves? And do you believe that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear? I don't know about you, but Buddy believes that. Uh, point number four, how about It's a Wonderful Life? Think about the miraculous things we hear in that story. George Bailey has so many problems. He's thinking about ending it all. And it's Christmas. As George is about to jump from a bridge, he ends up rescuing his guardian angel, Clarence. That's right. George Bailey rescues the guardian angel who then shows George what town would have looked like if it hadn't been for all his good deeds over the years. And I just have to ask Every time a bell rings, does an angel really get its wings? You've heard that before, I'm sure. As much as we want to believe that these stories are true, or we tell them to our kids to teach some sort of story about Christmas with the toys and joys, or if we watch It's a Wonderful Life together for the feels of a family, I would like to recommend and share to you that maturity in the local New Testament church, forces us to recognize the real truth. 
The real story of Christmas didn't go down like that at all. The real story, however, does have all the intrigue of flying reindeer, plenty of hard-to-believe bends like the virgin birth, dreams, angel appearances that make every skeptic want to say bah humbug, and yet captures the heart and soul of hope and joy for all followers of Jesus Christ. Today, I announce to you that a Savior was born. His name's Jesus, and he came to save us from our sins, and I've got good news, that is the true story of Christmas. So let's talk about it together. What does that look like? Now, before you walk out of here believing that the only hope of spreading Christmas cheer is like Buddy singing loud for all to hear, I want to challenge you to listen closely to Matthew's account of the story of Jesus and his birth. If you would take your Bibles out right now, I asked you earlier, we're in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be reading in verse 18. And before we read together and stand, I just want to tell you how all of this came to be and tell you where we're heading as we get going. In my 28 years of pastoral ministry, I was caught completely off guard about a month ago when I was doing a Bible study with our students on Friday morning at a Starbucks. The content of that Bible study was all the dreams in the Bible. It makes quite a fascinating study, by the way, but in that study, it became apparent that no other person in the Bible had more dreams recorded and explained than Joseph, the husband of Mary. He had four now, before you're out there questioning like, well, well, what about Daniel? What about John? What about the book of Revelation? I remind you, there is a distinct difference between thus says the Lord, a vision, a revelation, and a dream. All four of those are different. I am specifically this morning talking about dreams like the one Nebuchadnezzar had told all the wise men that he had, but instructed them, tell me what it was from God and tell me what it means. I'm also referring to dreams like the one Pilate's wife had who said have nothing to do with condemning this Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. So tucked away uniquely in the story of the birth of Jesus and Christmas and his first four years of life are four dreams that fulfill three prophecies of Jesus and miraculously reveal a ton of other things. And that's why I named this uh, message, the miracles of Christmas. It's pretty cool. So this morning we're going to examine those four dreams and ask what can we learn from those dreams? And hopefully we'll leave with awe and wonder over everything that God accomplished through the testimony of the angels. With that, I say, let's stand together now. And we're going to read Matthew chapter one, verse 18 through 25. I'm going to go ahead and read that while you listen this morning. We stand in honor of the word of God. Um, It is our sole authority of faith and practice. And we're going to begin reading in verse 18. Again, just listen as I read this morning. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will, in fact, give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. You can be seated. So we're going to examine four dreams this morning related to the Christmas story. And the first one is dream number one. A virgin will conceive and you will name him Jesus. I need to give you a little bit of background to Hebrews marriages and customs. Uh, Marriages were arranged for individuals by parents and contracts were negotiated. Uh, After this was accomplished, the individuals were considered married and were called husband and wife. However, they did not begin to live together at that point. Instead... The woman would continue to live with her parents and the man with his uh, for one year. Uh, The waiting period was to demonstrate the faithfulness of the pledge of purity given concerning the bride. If she was found to be with child in this period, she was obviously not pure. Um, Excuse me, sorry, I lost my point. Uh, Obviously not pure, but had been involved in an unfaithful sexual relationship. Therefore, the marriage could be annulled. If, however, the one-year waiting period demonstrated the purity of the bride, the husband would then go to the house of the bride's parents and in a grand processional march lead his bride back to his home. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, there's a lot of talk about bridegrooms, etc. There they would begin to live together as husband and wife and consummate their marriage physically. In chapter 1, verse 18, Mary and Joseph were in the one-year waiting period when Mary was found to be with child. They had never had sexual intercourse, and Mary herself had been faithful. The angel declared this to be the case in verse 20. So in verse 19, not much is said about Joseph except for one key thing. It said he was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her. This gives us a little insight into his character. Probably because of his deep love for her, he didn't want to do anything public. And keep in mind, when the word became uh, public that she was pregnant, he could have done something publicly at the city gate. According to Deuteronomy chapter 22, he also could have had her stoned. But instead, he was considering divorcing her privately. Also, this story has an angel in it. Notice we talked about, and the angel said. So I want to just stop for a second and talk a little bit about angelology, okay? Um, Angels do the bidding of God. They are God's messengers. Angels are entirely different order of being from humans. Uh, Human beings do not become angels after they die, and angels will never become and never were human beings, God created the angels just as he created humanity. So sorry to break it to you. Every time a bell rings, they don't necessarily get wings. We do know in the scriptures that two kind of angels have wings, cherubim and seraphim. And we see that in Isaiah chapter 6. Angels are personal beings who worship and obey God. And God sometimes sends angels to interfere or 
speak into the course of humanity. And this is exactly one of those instances. Now, if you think about it, this is pretty cool related to Christmas. If you start Christmas morning and say, hey, kids, I've got a really cool story to tell you about Christmas. There's multiple miracles that took place. And one of them is an angel came to Joseph in a dream and communicated the name of Jesus. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. So here we have uh, in our passage the story. So let's go to our first point. Joseph, the angel said, don't do what you are going to do. Don't do what you are going to do. Now let's just review. A couple planning to get married is in the middle of the waiting period. Then it's discovered Mary's pregnant. Joseph then considers what to do. Because of his love for her, he decides that he will not shame her publicly, spare her life, and divorce her quietly. Then God intervenes and sends an angel with a different plan. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? God stops a righteous man's thoughts of his heart to do something that was very kind and intervenes. And the angel, number two, delivers God's plan to man. How many times do we have a plan, even a good one, and we think we know what the plan is, and it honestly seems like it's the right plan, and then God intervenes. I just want to encourage all of us. God can use whatever he wants, whenever he wants to get our attention. And wouldn't all of us want that? Don't we want him to get our attention? He used a talking donkey, not named Shrek, in the Old Testament. He used a burning bush with Moses. He used a whale in the life of Jonah. And now in the New Testament, in the life of Joseph, he sends an angel. God can intervene anytime he wants. So this is my first point of application in the middle. What has God sent you right now to get your attention? Are there things going on in your life where you're wanting things to go a specific way and they're not going that way? Things may not be working. You may have family issues. You may have financial issues. You may have um, job issues. I don't know what those issues are, but they're just not going the right way. Is it quite possible that right now God is intervening in your life to teach you something? In Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts. And by the way, this is not a shame thing. I remind you, Joseph was righteous and he was trying to do a good thing. So it's not that I'm saying all of our plans are bad. Sometimes in the middle of our plans, God still chooses, I'm going to intervene and do something different. And brothers, sisters, we all have plans, but it's God's plans eventually that will prevail. Speaking of plans, watch the plan that God reveals to the angel. And the very first thing that the angel said, would you note, the angel called Joseph by name. He says, Joseph, son of David, in verse 20. I want to encourage you. God knows your name. God knows my name. God instructed the name to the angel. God knows us. Isn't that refreshing and encouraging? He sees our hurts. He sees our heartaches. And here he sees the name of the person and he also knows his lineage. He calls him son of David. I want to remind you of one of God's names. One of God's names is, uh, he is El Olam. El Olam. It means the eternal and everlasting God. He knows lineages. He knows every name. He also says that he knows his fears because the angel said to Joseph, don't be afraid. 
Sometimes when we're following the plans of God, we don't need to be afraid, but oftentimes we get afraid because we're not sure of what the future holds. Anybody relate? I can. God steps into time and on occasion gets our attention to accomplish his plans and keep us from guiding our own steps. All right, now in verse 20, the Christmas story begins to take off. Are you ready? The angel confirms the pregnancy is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to stop for a second because this is one of the key points of Christianity. This is one of the key points of Christmas. God has created laws like the law of gravity that govern the universe. When he interrupts those laws and demonstrates his power over creation, a miracle takes place. This birth would be the most unique birth in history because Mary had never been touched by a man. According to verse 20, the virgin would miraculously give birth of the act- because of the activity of the Holy Spirit in her. That's what the text says. There's never been a birth like it before, and there has never been one like it since. Now, I want to remind you, do not confuse this teaching um, with the teaching of the Immaculate Conception. This conception or pregnancy was miraculous, but it was not an Immaculate Conception. That's the, the thing that teaches that Mary was free of original sin or born free of original sin. We do not teach that. We teach that the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as such, Mary was no exception to the verse. She was born in sin like every other human being has been born in sin. Next, the virgin birth confirms, pretty cool, the prophecy given by Isaiah 700 years earlier. That's verse 123. In Isaiah 714, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. Notice in the text what it says in verse 21. The angel told them he'd give birth to a son. Now, I know in this culture, there's stuff that's really big right now. You want to know what one of the really big things right now is gender reveals. Now, you've watched all those videos on the internet, right, where gender reveals gone bad, you know, or you're excited because, you know, they're making public. I want you to know long before gender reveals became cool, this was an angelic gender reveal of miraculous proportion. Isn't that cool? It was going to be a son. And by the way, here's his name. His name's going to be Jesus. So cool. And this, according to the angel in verse 21, the child's name was to indicate the reason he had come into the world, giving his life clarity because he will save his people from their sins. I want you to note something fascinating too as I studied this, and that is Joseph did what the angel of the Lord commanded him in all four dreams. This is the beginning of his obedience. Joseph did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. Obedience should be and must always be the natural response of a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ when God gives clear instructions. So I just want to ask, if obedience, by the way, Alexis did it, the other family did it this morning, they followed the Lord in obedience to what God had instructed through baptism, praise the Lord. When you're a follower of Jesus, we do what God commands us, we obey. So here's my question. Are you in the middle of a steady walk of obedience right now? Or, you are, or are you in the middle of kind of realizing, I might not 
be where I'm supposed to be right now? Or are you at a point where you're thinking, man, I really am not as close to the Lord as I was two years ago or three years ago? And you start asking questions, what's wrong? It's quite possible and plausible that obedience may be one of the core root issues. When Joseph woke up, he did exactly what the angel of the Lord commanded him. The text also said that Joseph had no union with her until she gave birth. He remained pure. The text also says Joseph gave the baby the name of Jesus, again an act of obedience. Where are you right now as you look at your life in direct obedience to God? All right, so that's dream number one. Dream number two. Let's go in our text to Matthew chapter two. The second dream occurs in verse 13. Um, I'm going to just review verse chapter two, verses one through 12 to bring us up to uh, where we're at in verse 13. So hang with me as I just explain that background real quick. Uh, it was no surprise that King Herod was disturbed when the Magi came to Jerusalem looking for the one who had been born king. You'll note that in chapter two, verse two. Herod was not the rightful king from the line of David. In fact, he was not even a descendant of Jacob, but was descended from Esau and thus was an Edomite. The fact caused most of the Jews to hate him and never really truly accept him as king. If someone had rightfully been born king, then Herod's job was in serious jeopardy. He therefore called the Jewish scholars together and asked them to find where Christ was to be born because he wanted to kill him. Of course, the answer was simple for the Jewish scholars because Micah the prophet had given the precise location centuries before in Micah 5.2. Of course, the birthplace would be Bethlehem. Later in the text, the same star that guided the Magi to Jerusalem in search of Jesus, really cool, miraculously reappears in Matthew 2.9. Check it out. In Matthew 2.9, it reappears to guide them to Jesus. And like Joseph, they as well are warned in a dream, chapter 2, verse 12, not to go back to Herod and report to him because of the warning they head back a different way. Now we're ready for um, our next uh, dream. It says, I want you to note a couple things as I read Matthew 2, 13 through 15. It says, when they had gone, the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Listen, out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, point number one, they needed to escape or Jesus was going to be killed. Not only is this a foreshadowing of the future threat on his life, the current threats were just as real. Now, Let's just stop for a second and observe some really cool things. I love seeing stuff that's just unique in a passage. If you had an angel appear to you in the middle of the night and tell you that your kid's life was in danger and that you were to leave, wouldn't you be a little startled? I mean, that's just observation number one. And then like a scene straight out of the movies, Joseph and Mary and Jesus make their escape in the middle of the night. And I assure you, if an angel appears to you and makes it very clear you're in danger, you're going to run too. 
What's really crazy is the supernatural, watch this, the supernatural appearance of the angel revealed things that were happening in the hearts and minds of other people, namely Herod, that Joseph and Mary couldn't see or sense. I'm going to say it again. The supernatural appearance of the angel revealed things that were happening in the hearts and minds of other people, namely Herod, that Joseph and Mary couldn't see or sense. In fact, this is exactly why obedience to God is so important, especially when we're not sure what we're supposed to do. We teach our kids, don't play in the streets, because we know that they could get hurt. We tell them to come the minute we call because we want them to learn to obey. The reason is we have perspectives different than theirs. We have maturity different than theirs. We have experience in difference than theirs. Listen carefully. How much more God in his infinite wisdom, his omnipresence, his omniscience knows your need knows my need, sees our weaknesses, sees potential danger, sees potential hurts, and acts on our behalf. And in the middle of that acting, why in our sinful human nature do we resist it and not obey? Man, that's hard. So guilty. Number two, they fulfilled the prophecy of Moses. The angels... Uh, Revelation fulfilled the prophecy of, excuse me, of Hosea in chapter 11, 1 of Hosea. Jesus was sent to and returned from Egypt so that the prophet's words out of Egypt, I called my son, might be fulfilled. So listen carefully. 700 years after those words were uttered by Hosea, they came to pass. Simply miraculous. Never underestimate the term be fulfilled in scripture. So I've got a little illustration for you. A number of years ago, Peter Stoner and Robert C. Newman wrote a book entitled Science Speaks. The book was based on the science of probability and vouched for by the American Scientific Affiliation. It set out the odds of any one man in all of history fulfilling only Eight of the 60 major prophecies fulfilled by the life of Christ. Again, just eight of the 60 major prophecies. What the probability of that? Listen carefully. The probability that Jesus of Nazareth could have fulfilled even eight such prophecies would be only one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a one with 17 zeros behind it for probability. Just to put that in an everyday common vernacular, the writer claims that that many silver dollars, one to the 17th power, silver dollars would be enough to cover the face of the entire state of Texas two feet deep. Who in his right mind would suppose that a blindfolded man headed out of Dallas by foot in any direction would be able on his very first attempt to pick up one specifically marked silver dollar out of one to the 17th power. That is the level of chance for it to just happen randomly. Folks, our God is a miraculous God who is in charge, in control. We get to celebrate the miracle of Christmas. Isn't that cool? So 
the story of Jesus, the revelation of the angel, the escape out of town, and the fulfillment of the prophecy was miraculous. So, dream number one, a virgin will conceive, you'll name him Jesus. Dream number two, Joseph, take Jesus and escape to Egypt. Dream number three and four, we'll take them together. And we're running out of time, so I'll be brief. Joseph... Take Jesus back to Israel. If you'll notice in the text, I'm going to take them at separate times. Let's look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. It says, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Point number one, Jesus was now safe. Herod was dead. Now, according to the text, they had no clue that the coast was clear and that Jesus was safe. We can all see the angel is the one that revealed it to them miraculously. I'd like to note a couple things just off the cuff about Joseph and Mary. While in Egypt... And before they had heard from the angel, what do we find is true about them? They were not complaining. They were not mumbling. They were not upset. And they didn't have any plans to move. They were simply waiting for clarity in obedience. We also know from the death of Herod and the birth of Christ that the family at this point had spent over three years in Egypt. What's so fascinating to me is in the middle of not their town and not their home and not their relationships, they are completely and wonderfully content. Folks, this is a great principle for Jonathan to learn and everybody else. If obedience took you to the place where you are at, obedience will lead you out. If obedience is why you are where you are and it's rough, I, have conf- I can declare with confidence that God took you right where he needed you to be so he could refine you, prepare you, equip you, mature you, grow you, so in turn you could potentially be able to do the same thing to someone else. That's why discipleship is so important. And here we see that taking place in the life of Joseph and Mary, completely and wonderfully content in the middle of obedience. And obedience led Joseph and Mary back to Israel. On the way back, I would like to note, the angel gave them a detour. Notice, if you would, verse 22 and 23. And then we're almost done. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. This is Joseph. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Through impending danger, the angel of the Lord, God, rerouted them back home to Nazareth. Again, Joseph obeyed the instructions without issue and again, more prophecies were fulfilled. So here we come to the end. The question is, why go through all of this? Why tell all of these stories? Why examine all the dreams? What's up with all these miracles? I have two simple observations that I'd like to make that hopefully will resonate with you. Number one, there is true beauty and miraculous twists and turns in the original story of Christmas that makes all other cheap substitutes fail in comparison. It's a beautiful story. Number two, the intentionality of Jesus' name, the virgin birth, 
the communication of the angel multiple times over, the fulfillment of prophecy all point to one thing. The miraculous birth of the Son of God to man gives us great joy as we celebrate this Christmas. If angels give glory to it, and the shepherds give glory to it, and the magi give glory to it, let's not miss the true miracle of Christmas in our own families. That God became man to live among us, Emmanuel, and was named Jesus to save us from our sins. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. This is going to be real short. I just have a couple simple questions. In the text, God named him Jesus because he was to save people from their sins. As you're here this morning, have you ever been saved from your sin? Alexis talked about on how September 18th in a morning service, the other couple talked about how it was very clear they couldn't get their hands up fast enough. This morning, do you understand and realize, are you ready to come to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you need an answer for sin And that answer is Jesus Christ and salvation. If that's you this morning and you want to come to faith in him for the very first time, would you raise your hand? I'm just taking a moment to look around. Again, with heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't want to embarrass anyone. That's not our goal. All right, number two, with your heads bowed and eyes closed. This is also a chance to recalibrate obedience. Uh, I ride a triathlon bike, I work out in my garage, and every once in a while the chain comes off, and then I have to readjust the chain, or I have to readjust the crank, or I have to figure out some stuff. This morning, do you need to recalibrate your obedience meter? And I ask this because Joseph, four times after four dreams, obeyed immediately. How are you doing in the obedience category? Whether you're older like me or younger, are you chasing your own desires or are you chasing God's desires? This morning, I'm just going to ask you before God, would you just pray and reconnect with him that his ways are the ways you want to follow, that he's the one you want to live for, not yourself? Would you just do that right now if you're willing? Finally, I close with this great Christmas hymn. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. If you've received it, that will be the greatest joy that we could have this morning, knowing that another person has been passed from death to life. If that's been you this morning, please see one of us. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you've done in our heart and life. Thank you so much for the testimonies we saw in the baptismal waters this morning. And Lord, thank you so much for the story of Christmas. Miraculous, beautiful, angelic, and memorable. Thank you, Lord, uh, for the obedience of Joseph. May we be likewise in your son's holy name. Amen.